There's an awe that comes from standing on the peak of a mountain. Maybe you've experienced it too. Last spring, I visited Jerusalem with a group sponsored by Duke Chapel. Early one morning, a few of us decided to get our adventure gear on and hike a mountain. Not just any mountain, the Mount of Olives. We walked and walked up miles of stairs, on the way passing hundreds of olive trees planted on the steep side of the mountain. Every so often, I sighed the classic, are we there yet? And was told each time by my friend Aiden that we had to keep going. Eventually, we arrived at a lookout point and stopped to take in a stunning view of the Holy Land that went as far as I could see. It was beautiful there, but I was getting tired. Aiden said that we still hadn't made it to the top yet, that his map was directing us to a point much farther away with even better views. And so we kept walking, following a winding path around the side of the mountain until we reached the eventual destination. It wasn't what we were expecting. Turns out his map was leading us to a restaurant called Mount of Olives <laughs> on the other side of the mountain. We had been fooled, but the beauty of the summit, the view of the city of Jerusalem expanding far out into the distance and the thousands of years of history that had taken place before us is something that will stay with me forever. The Gospel reading today tells us the story of Jesus delivering a message to the crowd. Chapter 6 of Luke tells us that before his teaching began, Jesus was on a mountain, praying and preparing. According to Matthew's account, Jesus then began to teach in that high place known as the Sermon on the Mount. But there is something meaningful to me about Luke's detail that Jesus left that high place and came down to teach on even ground with the crowd. This has become known as the Sermon on the Plain. There's beauty in the top of any mountain and it begs us to stay there, but we can't. This is the true test of our spiritual life to begin the long journey down the mountain. We must come down and stand on a level place like Jesus did when he came down to address the crowd before him. My dad says the same joke every time we go hiking, that the trail is uphill both ways. And in a way, he's right. The journey down can be just as hard when you've seen the amazing beauty at the summit and must begin the long descent. It can be disorienting to come down from the mountain. Your ears might pop, you might get thirsty, you may be exhausted, your boots might hurt, and if you're like me, you've run out of snacks and your patience has worn thin. Though it's often in the descent that you begin to learn the real lessons from nature, that life isn't only one beautiful mountain view after another, Life isn't only breathtaking scenery or sunrises or any of the other enchanting things which reveal themselves to us. We are lucky to witness them. They are intended to be moments of inspiration. The moments on the mountaintop 
are precious moments, and they are meant to reveal something in God's purpose. There's a lot of lessons that can be learned from hiking up a trail to witness the beauty of a mountain, but I'd like to think that walking back down to sea level has something important to teach us too. Jesus' action of coming down the mountain to a level place or plain is one that reminds me of Moses descending from Mount Sinai into Exodus. This similarity indicates the importance of what Jesus is about to say. He addresses the crowd and he offers blessings to people who are hurting and hungry and desperate. Looking at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who hunger now, for you will be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you will laugh. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He continues with a radical message, delivering words of warning for those the world regards as blessed. He says, but woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all speak well of you, for that is what their ancestors did to the false prophets. I don't know about you, but this scares me. In these words, Jesus flips the order of the world that we know and are comfortable with on its axis. The people who have only known full bellies will now be hungry, and those with full pockets will now be empty. Jesus's movement from a high place to a level plane serves as the embodiment of the words he later delivers, of the reversal of fate for people who are rich and poor, people who are fed and starving, who are well-liked and mistrusted. By coming down the mountain, Jesus is turning the world upside down. The pastor and writer Barbara Brown Taylor tells a story of helping to rescue a turtle that was stranded on the beach in the sand. It was left there with its flippers up, and so she flipped it over and sent it back, dragging it into the sea. Taylor writes, Watching the turtle swim slowly away after her nightmare ride through the dunes, I noted that it is sometimes hard to tell whether you are being killed or saved by the hands that turn your life upside down. Jesus is trying to turn what we know on its end, to take the mountaintop we desperately crave and bring it down to the everyday plane. His are the hands that are turning our lives upside down. He blesses the people who are lowly, and he gives woes to those who have much. Jesus looks at the poor, the humiliated, those who have stumbled and are without any hope, and he sees them, he blesses them, he loves them, and he makes extraordinary promises to them. If Jesus says that the people who are poor, hungry, and weeping are blessed, then who are these very people in our world today? 
I think Jesus would bless the weary travelers, people who have been uprooted and are searching for a new life. I visited Arizona this past January on a trip where I got to learn about the impact of the current border and immigration policies. There, I got to walk along a desert trail in order to better understand the strenuous journey that migrants experience while attempting to cross the US-Mexico border. My group packed along with us jugs of water to leave at special aid stations on the trail with hope that we could provide one small relief to the travelers who are braving the unforgiving desert. Migrants make the trek over days, sometimes weeks, across the mountains before they arrive at a rocky valley. And then they are greeted with a fence or a menacing wall. Most manage to cross over it or around it on still another perilous journey. But then they are often apprehended by border patrol agents and sentenced to detention before being deported. Families are split up and it isn't uncommon for immigrants to go days without proper food or a bed to sleep on while in detention. Even after the hardships faced during the crossing, even after the deaths of hundreds of migrants every year, people still continue to cross the desert. Despite fences and increased guards and the construction of even higher walls, the pull is so strong for the promise of a better life that immigrants keep making their journey. And what is pushing them from their homes, dramatic income inequality, poor labor conditions, and inadequate health care are problems that our own country has done little to aid as a neighbor. I heard from immigrants I met in Arizona about the reality of what it is like to leave their homes and their belongings and their friends and set out to walk across the desert. I heard about the pain that comes from not being welcomed here in a place where they deeply believe in the values. But mostly I heard about their dreams, dreams for their children and their families Dreams for a future that is better than the present. Dreams like becoming a doctor or a teacher and making their families proud. Dreams that are familiar to every single Duke student. If the message of the Sermon on the Plain were delivered by Jesus today, I suspect it would take place in the land around the border. It's an ordinary place with a terrain of mostly rocks and dirt. It's a place where people from all over come together, just like the diverse crowd of disciples and people gathered from Judea, Jerusalem, and the coast of Tyre and Sidon to hear Jesus's teaching. On my trip, I met people from Guatemala, El Salvador, Mexico, and Honduras, all who had gathered with the hope of a new life. And like the crowds assembled on the plain in Luke's gospel, these immigrants had assembled on the mountain in order for their wounds to be healed and to hear promises of good news. Following the words Jesus delivered in his sermon on the plain is meant to disrupt our opinions, 
our values, our patriotism, and our priorities. This disruption might feel like what Barbara Brown Taylor described, a little like the turtle being flipped upside down. If we listen carefully to the words of Jesus in Luke's gospel, I keep hearing one resounding question. Is this how we are going to live? He asks it of the rich and the well-fed and the popular people in the crowd when he speaks about woes and blesseds in an attempt to turn what we know about the world upside down. It's the same question that crossed my mind when I heard the stories of immigrants turned away at the border, told to go back to a home where they no longer felt safe. Is this how we are going to live? We are called to create more welcome for weary travelers on our borders and in our own community. I wonder what this could look like at Duke Chapel and on Duke's campus. How could we make the world easier for people in search of new roots? Could we be a sanctuary? Could we open the doors of our chapel and our campus a bit wider? And could we proclaim a message of radical hospitality to the people who are seeking the promises of Jesus's words the most? And most importantly, will we? In his message in Luke chapter six, Jesus compels us to get on with the work of the gospel, to proclaim freedom and welcome, and to make a home where the marginalized and the oppressed feel at rest. This is the upside down faith we are instructed to follow, the radical welcome and inclusion and wholeness and love of God. Back in Israel, a place also known for its many walls, I walked down the Mount of Olives after our long hike. I took a moment to pause at the base of the mountain, and lying at the bottom of the steep trail, I found the Garden of Gethsemane. In the garden are gnarled trees that are bent over dirt, dirt that has withstood centuries of unrest. I wandered around the paths and stopped at the center to find rocks grouped together at the base of one of the trees. They spell the word peace. It is a message that is meant to be an offering at a place where Jesus had once knelt and prayed. Peace. Maybe that's what's waiting for us when we get down off the mountain. Maybe that is what is waiting for us when we recognize Jesus coming down to our own level plane. Maybe that is what is waiting for us when we look around at the ordinary everyday life around us and listen to Jesus's instructions for how to turn our world upside down. Maybe there will be rest for the weary migrant Maybe there will be a sanctuary for all who are seeking refuge. Maybe there will be peace. Thank you.